the way that uh, eyewitnesses take you and show you exactly what happened on September 11 in 2001. And we had the privilege of spending almost three hours with, with a lady whose husband was killed in the one of the country, her brother as well, at the office. And it was uh, amazing spending that time with her and uh, revisiting those remarkable events through an eyewitness account. Well, today, Matthew is going to take us by the hand to the tomb of Jesus Christ to see what happened on that Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday, through the eyes of eyewitnesses. And Matthew is also going to show us two very different responses to those events. In fact, I believe Matthew compels us to ask, as we look at this eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus, and as we see two very different responses to the resurrection of Christ, he compels me of Jesus' resurrection. And so here we are in Matthew chapter 28 at verse 1, and we read that after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, this is not the mother of Jesus, this is the mother of James and Joseph, she's referred to back in chapter 27, they went to look at the tomb. And so it is a sunrise, we are witnessing a new day, a new dawn, a new era. And why is it then that we only have these, these two ladies who are coming to the tomb of Christ? Why just these two Marys? Where were the others? Well, we know that the disciples of Jesus were cowering in fear. And so at this point, let us honour the, the memory of these two brave women who came to the tomb of Jesus to tend to his body. Then Matthew tells us that there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, the Old Testament prophets said that earthquakes would precede the final judgment of God. And so this earthquake tells us that the last days of creation have begun, that a great separation, a great judgment was about to commence, was going to commence from that point. Humanity would be divided into two, and we're going to see those two parts of humanity in this chapter. And the angel rolls back the stone and sits on it. And I love that little detail, that the angel sat on it. Why did the angel sit on the stone? 
Now you right, might remember from the, your schoolyard fights. Do you remember those, your schoolyard fights? When you, uh, one boy has a little fight with the other and he defeats the boy, what does he do? How does he uh, consummate the victory? He sits on the other boy, right? And that's the, that's the final desolation. <laughs> Sitting, that's the, a symbol that this boy is, is conquered. He's, he's out. He's sat on. And here we have this, this gravestone, which was a, a symbol of the permanency of death, has been rolled aside, conquered, and the angel sits on it as though to say, that's it. Death has been conquered by the man who came out of this grave. The guards, meantime, are catatonic. They're paralysed with fear. And we're going to return to those guards in just a moment. Now, before the stone was rolled shut, Jesus' body had been placed inside, of course, so that when the stone was rolled back, the body of Jesus should still have been there, right? His body had been placed in there, the stone was rolled shut, now the stone is opened, and the women, the guards, would have expected to see the body of Jesus still there. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, past tense, where he was lying. He's not here in this place of the dead. You've come to the place of the dead to look for Jesus. And Jesus isn't in the place of the dead. He's risen. He's alive. And why have you come to the place of the dead to look for Jesus? Don't you remember how many times he told you that he would rise to life? And as we read back through the Gospel of Matthew, we see in chapter 16, verse 21, that Jesus explained to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Chapter 17, verse 9, after his transfiguration, Jesus said, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has raised him, the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus said they will kill the Son of Man. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Chapter 20, verse 19, they will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And Jesus said on his last night before his crucifixion, all of you will fall away on account of me. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Can you hear that the, the, there's a reprimand in what the angel is saying? Why are you seeking him here? He said again and again and again, I will rise to life. Why have you come to the place of the dead to look for Jesus? He said he would rise. He has risen. Come and see the, the place where he lay He's not there anymore. Verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. 
there you will see him. Now I have told you. Now I have told you. You have been told. (laughs) Jesus is not in the place of the dead. He is alive and he's going ahead of you. Act on that. Act on that information. So, is this thing, uh, I can hear a hum from where I am. Can you? Is there an annoying hum? Just, no, I'm getting shakes of the head, so I'll just ignore it and trust that you can hear me clearly. Good. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell Jesus' disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Literally, it was a a word, the word meant rejoice, but it was a word that people used to, to say hello. Back, back in the day. It was, it was, sometimes it's translated, good morning, <laughs> bonjour, bonjour, whatever the greeting is in your own language. Jesus is greeting these women, and he said, and they came to him. Now, now look carefully here. Notice their response very carefully. They came to him. They took hold of his feet. How do you take hold of someone's feet that had fallen down on their faces? And they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, it's not the first time I've heard these words today, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see him. There they will see me. They came to him, fell down, they grasped his feet and they worshipped him. Now let's be very clear about what Matthew is showing us here. Because we've already seen in the Gospels some people raised from the dead. The widow of Nain's son, for example, Lazarus, for example, in the Gospel of John. These were people who were reanimated, brought back to life. But then what happened to those people? Well, their life went on. We don't know how long. Uh, They would have got sick or elderly and have died. The widow of Nain's son that Jesus raised to life, he died again. Lazarus died again. These people were reanimated. They were returned from death temporarily by Jesus. And Matthew was showing us that the women were not encountering a reanimated man. They were encountering a resurrected man. And there is a vast difference between those two things, a reanimated man and a resurrected man, because the reanimated man will die again. The resurrected man is immortal. He has conquered and passed through death. He hasn't been pulled back from death. He's conquered it and passed through it into a new realm where he could no longer die. A person who is now immortal. Picture a person, they die and they enter into a city of death. Picture that. 
a person entering into a city of death. And death itself is there like a monster with tentacles. And they are called back out of that city of death. Briefly. Temporarily. But that monster, the, the tentacles still have hold of that person, you see. And eventually the monster will pull them back into death. Can you picture that? A person going into a city of death. The, the, the monster, the tentacles wrapped around them. They come out briefly, but then they hold back in. That's Lazarus. That's the widow of Nain's son. But what we see in Matthew is Jesus entering that city of death, slaying the monster. The monster's dead and passing through to the other side, never to return, never to return. And that's why Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, Jesus Christ has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light. Think of what it's like to be in that realm of resurrection life that Jesus Christ is now in. No more ageing. No more watching the days run out. No more nurses, doctors, hospitals. No more palliative care, deathbeds, final breaths. No more funeral directors, coffins, crematoriums, graves and flowers. No more fear. All of that destroyed. All of that destroyed by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. Death is defeated. And instead, eternal life. And eternal life is never just unending existence. And frankly, if eternal life was this life just going on and on and on, count me out. Don't know about you, but count me out of that. If eternal life is just this life that goes on and on and on forever, no thanks. I don't want that. Because there's sin here, and there's hurt here, and harm, and I hurt people, and people hurt me, and I... No. Eternal life is life where sin is conquered and we're freed from it. Life in the presence of God the Father who made us life in his presence with unbroken joy and delight. This is the glorious state that Jesus Christ entered after his resurrection from the grave. And these are the resurrection blessings to all who will believe in him. All who believe in him. All who will, like those women, will come to him, fall down and take hold of his feet and worship him. That resurrection life becomes theirs. Freedom from death. Eternal life is theirs. And the joy of that is what makes the very next thing that Matthew tells us so bizarre, so weird. Because while the women were on their way, do you see the, the, the two groups from the tomb of Jesus, they go in two different directions. The women go towards Galilee, they meet with Jesus. 
the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Now, at this point, you know those, those Formula One drivers? I, 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 don't, I hate car racing, but I've seen enough of the news to know what happens when they win the race. You know what happens when they win the race? They get up on the podium, and they're each given a big bottle of champagne, and they shake it up and pop the cork, and, they, and then they spray each other with champagne, and they're so happy, delirious. And, and I always think, that must be really sticky, all that, champ- that, all that champagne. And uh, who, who actually washes those clothes later? I guess just those are the sort of things that go through my mind. But anyway, they're so happy. They're so happy, they're, they're spraying champagne all over each other. And this is what the chief priest should have been like, right? The guards should have gone back to the chief priests, the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel. He's risen. And they should have gone, yes. Break open the champagne. Because the Old Testament promised this. The Old Testament promised that Messiah would come and defeat death. Isaiah said it. Isaiah said that the Lord will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Yes. Thank you for telling us that Christ has risen and all God's promises of resurrection have been fulfilled. They should have ran from there and sought out Jesus and fallen at his feet and taken hold of his feet and worshipped him. And they did nothing of the sort. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So instead of popping the champagne, they concoct a story. They had to pay the soldiers money, lots of money, because the soldiers risked their life. Back in the day, if you were a soldier on guard duty and you failed on your guard duty, you were put to death. And so it had to be a sum large enough to convince them to go along with this plan, large enough to risk death. And it was such a ridiculous story as well. Everyone knew that the disciples had fled in fear. Even Peter who seemed to be the bold one, even he wet the bed, didn't he? And fell to pieces when a servant girl said, you were with Jesus? No, no, I wasn't. Everyone knew that the disciples were frightened and had run away and said the story was ridiculous, that they were now regrouping, found their courage to come back to the tomb to overpower the guards, to free Jesus Roll back the stone. A ridiculous story. And the Pharisees trashed their reputation with the governor. They trashed their reputation with everyone. Why? Why did they spend so much money? 
Why did they trash their reputation? Why did they concoct this ridiculous story? Why? You'd think if they were going to lie that they would be lying for the good thing. You'd think that the religious leaders would be lying towards the resurrection, towards the resurrection, not away from the resurrection. That's what you'd think. Why did they lie? Why did they cook up the story? Why did they spend so much money trying to deceive people into thinking that Jesus was still dead? Why? Well, you know why. You know why. Because if they were going to believe the resurrection and enjoy those resurrection blessings, they'd have to come to Jesus and they'd have to fall at his feet and worship him. And to do that, they'd have to give up their rule. They'd have to give up their influence, their income. They'd have to give up the life that they had built around them. You see, these men, they'd built up this, this life, this respectable life, this good life around them. And they'd have to give it all up to recognize the risen Christ. And they refused to do that. Stronger than their desire for life was their desire that Jesus stay dead. Because only then could they protect that life that they had built around them. Let's look at those those religious leaders. Their minds darkened. Their spirits imprisoned. The light of the resurrection couldn't pierce those hard hearts those hard souls. The light of the resurrection couldn't break those chains of slavery which they'd put themselves in. What was a few more years of living the life that they had built for themselves was even more important to them than eternal life itself. And so they tried to put Jesus back in the tomb, as it were. Now, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that this, this same spirit reigns in, in, in some of you, some sitting here this morning. I'm making this personal because Matthew makes it personal. It's God's word and he makes it personal. What's the point in me just standing up here and giving you a, a theological lecture? No point in that. God confronts you this morning and he says, how are you going to respond to the resurrection of my son? He's alive. How are you going to respond to my son who is alive, says God? And I'm afraid that some of us will be like the the religious leaders, our minds trapped in darkness, our spirits chained And all we see is a threat. All we see in the risen Christ is a threat to me and the life I have built around me. And I do not want to to bow down and grasp the feet of Christ and worship him. There's fear. There's pride. There's a a hopeless grasping for self-rule. We're like people holding on to that bit of driftwood on the ocean. 
There's the Son of God, risen, alive, holding out his hand to us. And we're saying, no, rather just cling to my bit of driftwood and drift for a few more years. And so for some of you, maybe this, this fight is going on within you. A fight is raging right now within you. God says, come, my son is alive, come, take him, worship him, receive eternal life with him. And you're being pulled back. No, I want things to just stay the same. I don't want this threat to my life and my future. And this fight is raging. I pray for you. That the light of the resurrection will break through and that the chains will be broken and you'll be freed and you will take the feet of Christ and worship him and receive that eternal life. Not just unending life, but eternal life. Joy of the Father for all eternity. I pray that that's what you do today. Most of us have been Christians for a long time, and I, I finish with this. And we read Matthew's account, and what do we do with it? We've been Christians for a long time. What do we think? Well, I ask myself, why doesn't the resurrection fill me with, with rapture? Isn't it because that same spirit of self-rule contends within me. Yeah, I've been a Christian for decades. But that old man lurks there, wanting things to stay the same, pulling me back to that life of autonomy, so-called self-rule. And the result of that is that my Christian life lacks power, it lacks joy, it's lukewarm, There are those of us who have been Christians for decades and we know what the Christian life could be like. We have a vision of it, a life of real joy, a life of real power where our Christian life has a real impact and influence on others, where our hearts burn with love for the Father and for his Son, Jesus Christ, and for the Holy Spirit. We have a vision of that and we know that's not, not us. And doesn't Matthew put his finger on the reason here? Doesn't he put his finger on the reason? It's because that old pharisaical spirit lurks within us, resisting the good news. Just want things to stay the same. There are oceans so black that the light doesn't pierce. Are you on the bottom of that ocean, trapped in that dark place? Well, whether we are believers or unbelievers, our prayer has got to be the same this morning. Lord, show us the risen Christ again and break those chains of self-rule, put to death that old man lurking within us, Free us to be like the two Marys, 
I want to be like the two Marys. And I reckon you do too. And so my prayer is, Lord, free us. May we fall down this morning at the feet of Christ, risen, and take hold of those feet. Worship him. Lord God, bring us into the light of the resurrection that we might come to the feet of Christ and adore him and enjoy eternal life with him. Amen. Thanks.